Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Oh, thanks so much, Jill and Natalie. Hello, uh, wherever you're watching this today, I hope you're staying safe and, and doing okay. Well, today I am super excited to be launching a brand new series for Lent 2021 based around my book, God on Mute, which is, you probably know, wrestles with the tough stuff of faith. The questions that we ask, uh, the pain that we all have to process when our deepest prayers don't work. Now, we're calling the series God Unmute. Uh, because over the next five weeks, we're going to be exploring actually the ways in which God speaks to us through seasons of suffering. C.S. Lewis talked about this. He said, pain insists upon being attended to. You've probably noticed that. Because God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. It is, he said, God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Seasons of suffering can often be the means by which God wakes us up to the things that really matter. Perhaps God's shouting to you right now through this pandemic. And C.S. Lewis also says here that our pain is something that insists upon being attended to. We, we can't just sort of brush it under the carpet or pretend it's not there. We've got to be honest about our pain. Some people have criticised me for talking about unanswered prayer. But, you know, Jesus himself experienced at least three unanswered prayers. So if the Bible can be that honest, surely so can we. First of all, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, take this cup away from me, and he died. Secondly, on the cross, he prayed, why have you forsaken me? And there was no answer. And then, of course, he also prayed to the Father, that asking that we would be united, that his people would be one. And tragically, there isn't unity in the church of Jesus Christ around the world to this day. And so Jesus, even now in heaven, lives with an unanswered prayer. To wrestle with unanswered prayer is not a sign of doubt but of a deepening faith. And I think there are at least three reasons why we need to look at this right now. The first is because it's Lent, which is a good time for a bit of sober reflection. The second is to tie in with the unanswered prayer course, which we're running in our collectives over these five weeks. But the third reason is this. In 25 years of pastoral ministry, I have never known a time like this of so much pain, not just in our world, but also in our church. And we just have to try and make sense of it. So many members of Emmaus are suffering, dealing with loss, facing fearful circumstances. And if you yourself right now are doing fine, great. But I'm sure you know someone who isn't. You know, some churches sadly are a bit like museums and some are a bit like fashion shows 
but my longing is that we in Emmaus Road would be more like a field hospital on the front lines, caring for the sick, healing the hurting, binding up the most broken lives. So if you're here and you're healthy, your job is to help someone who isn't. But if you're here hurting in some way, your job is to get better. And we just want to say we love you very much. We want to try and help and care for you. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, I pray that by your spirit, you would come and bind up broken hearts. I pray that through this series, you'd come and help us make sense of things intellectually and emotionally, that we would grow in our relationship with you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through this very difficult time of life and that this Lent would bring us to Easter with fresh hope in your life and resurrection. Amen. Well, today I'm thrilled that we're going to be exploring one of my absolute favourite bits of the Bible. Uh, this is Psalm 23 we're going to look at together. The Lord is my shepherd, uh, that one. And this is a, a passage that I have returned to again and again through the last year. I remember back when I was uh, 18 and I received the news that my father had died very suddenly. Psalm 23 was the first thing I read. And then two years ago when I was on a holiday, obviously not knowing anything that was about to transpire in the world, I studied this psalm daily for the whole summer. And then when Sammy and I had the joy of moving onto our barge, I began meditating upon that lovely line, you lead me beside quiet waters, you restore my soul. And then when I invited our boys a year ago to prayerfully select a scripture for a tattoo on my arm, they um, gave me a choice of two. Either, you'll have guessed it, Psalm 23, or they said Leviticus 19:28. And when I looked that up, I found out that that was uh, the verse that seems to forbid to-dos. And uh, I'm afraid we haven't got time in this talk to get into the exegesis and hermeneutics of that. But um, if you want to talk to me about that some other time, we can. I chose Psalm 23, and therefore this psalm is literally inked on my skin uh, to this day. So let's read it together now, shall we? We're going to read in the King James Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Such a great psalm, isn't it? But don't be deceived by it. Because amidst all these nice, pretty pastoral images of sheep and shepherds and green pastures and feasts, the context of this psalm is actually quite bleak. The context 
is the valley of the shadow of death. That's verse 4a. It's the presence of real evil. That's verse 4b. It's the threat of watching enemies. That's verse 5. It's easy to think, isn't it, that, you know, we'll get close to God when life finally gets better. We'll sort out our prayer lives once things slow down or once we're healthy again or once work is less stressful or when we get married to that dream super spiritual partner or when we have kids, be so profound (laughs) or when our kids leave home, it'll be quiet again or when we retire or when the pandemic ends. But Psalm 23 says of God that you are with me in the midst of my troubles, not instead of the pain, but in spite of the pain. Let me say that again, not instead of the pain, but in spite of the pain. You probably heard me tell that story before about airlifts and parachutes. You know, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, our prayer is obviously always, God, get me out of here. You know, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. Do a miracle. And sometimes God does do miracles. We've seen many miracles in this church where God just lifts someone out of their crisis. It's wonderful. But to be honest, more often, instead of airlifting us out of the valley of the shadow, God parachutes in and joins us in the darkness, in the fear, in the mess. That's the message of Jesus being born. The incarnation, God so loved the world that he sent, he gave his son to come. That uh, has often been Sammy's and my experience when we've been going through very difficult times. Uh, I'm sure many of you will know that, um, you know, Sammy uh, um, has suffered with a chronic illness for 20 years now. And at the start, very, very serious. And she was facing brain surgery and had to go through that. And then subsequently battling a particularly ferocious kind of epilepsy. And yet we did experience something of the presence of God with us in the midst of it. All the time, what we longed for is God just to heal Sammy and make it go away. But what we do know is that he came and joined us in that place. For example, there was a the first night that Sammy managed to sleep without sleeping pills. She was so scared at the start that she couldn't sleep without them. It may sound a little thing, but it was a real breakthrough for us. Well, we found out the next day that some people from Reading uh, near London had driven all the way down to St. Richard's Hospital in Chichester, where we were, and had prayed all night in the chapel for Sammy. And it just blew us away. And it was a sign to us of the love of God. And, you know, um, the peace of God was something that we often experienced as we prayed during that season. I remember uh, one morning, Sammy had just been rushed back into hospital under a blue flashing night light the night before. And we were so discouraged. Once again, God hadn't answered our prayers. Her seizure hadn't ended. Um... Uh, and I went into the hospital, I'd grabbed the post, the mail on the way in, and I started opening it with Sammy. I just didn't know what to say to encourage her. But the first thing I opened was a card from a, a, a church in Sheffield 
that for some reason had prayed for us and had sent us this card and that was the love of God to us. Perhaps most dramatically, I remember um, after Sammy's surgery, the consultant um, came to, to, to see Sammy and he said, you know, you were very lucky. And we said, why? He said, well, your preoperative scans showed that the sinus vein, now that's a big important vein that you, we all have running uh, over our brain there. That's what her tumour had been growing on. And he said that you, you, the, the preoperative scans said that showed that the, the sinus vein was completely shut down by the tumour. And so he was meant to just go in and snip it at one side and the other and take out the tumour. But he said, I don't know what it was. It was a hunch. He said, you can call it intuition if you want. But whilst I was in there, I felt I didn't want to do that. He said, so I, I carefully scraped the tumour off the vein, which is actually not as good a thing to do because it leaves a tiny bit of the tumour in the skull. And he said, but you're very lucky that I did that because the post-operative scans have shown that actually the sinus vein is now working again. And if I'd cut that out, you'd be in trouble. We said, what do you mean in trouble? He said, oh, it would have been definite paralysis or death. Well, you can call that luck. You can call that intuition. But as people of faith, we can't help sensing that God somehow spoke to that surgeon who, as far as I know, didn't have a faith and somehow guided his hand. And so whilst we often had to go through what for us really was kind of a hell, we experienced the presence of God with us, even in hell. And so there's often just really practical ways in which we experience God with us, even in the dark and the difficult times of our lives. When I see the way that this church is praying and even fasting right now for uh, so many people, for the Lawson family, for the Dan family, so many others. I mustn't start a list. So many people are going through such hard things. I, I can see how I think we are being roused as a church by God to face the terrifying fragility of life and the absolute necessity of spiritual warfare but also the wonderful reality of God with us in the valley. And so together in this series, we are going to be going deeper, exploring the four big questions that everybody asks whenever they suffer. The first is a question of the heart, which is just how on earth am I going to get through this? Then the next is a question of the head, intellectually, why, God, are you not answering my prayers? Then there's the soul question, God, where are you when my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling? And then there's the ultimate question, when? God, when are you going to break in and meet with us and answer our prayers? Well, I want to introduce now someone who is definitely walking through the valley of the shadow. Just one member of our church. I know there's many, many stories out there, but many of you will know and love Lucy Barker, who's a member of the Woking Congregation and actually recently uh, came on staff uh, to help run the communications in the church. But what you may not know is that behind the scenes, Lucy has been walking a really tough path and she courageously has agreed to share her story with us now. Lucy, over to you. Thanks, Pete. 
Uh, morning everybody. Um, forgive me if I wobble, I'm going to try and be uh, quite vulnerable with you all this morning. Um, so today is day 343 of lockdown and, and for me that's meant um, pretty much near total isolation because at the beginning of 2020 my dad was diagnosed with cancer um, and to keep him safe and moved him in with me and um, and I've, I've been caring for him. He was diagnosed with throat cancer, which um, it was, despite being stage four, has uh, like an 80% chance of survival, um, although the treatment is brutal. So he had six weeks of chemo and radiotherapy, and um, by the end of that, he had lost the ability to swallow, um, he'd lost the ability to speak. He, I was um, administering food through a, a feeding tube and uh, on the real dark days, um, on his worst days, I was giving him morphine several times a day. Um, and, and we were alone at the height of the um, pandemic in uh, lockdown one. It, it felt, felt devastatingly lonely. Um, my dad turned 70 in, in April and um, he doesn't remember but we had a family Zoom call to sing happy birthday to him and um, yeah slowly he started to recover and um, a few months later had follow-up scans and he was declared cured which is amazing like huge answers to prayer. Um, but as part of those follow-up scans, they found um, cancer in his esophagus. Um, and he also had a large polyp in his bowel. And so, again, we were told, actually, we've caught it really early because he was having all the scans for the throat cancer. Um, it's stage two and um, it's curable. We can do chemo and surgery and more chemo. And so he had the chemotherapy and um, it didn't make any difference to the tumour unfortunately and in the meantime um, Marcus was starting to show up in his blood um, and he was then diagnosed with prostate cancer which was stage 4 and had already spread to his bones and um, and then they discovered that uh, the original throat cancer had spread to his lung um, and um, again just if we felt so alone um, on Christmas Eve the a registrar told us that dad wasn't curable anymore and um, it was going to be palliative care from now on um, and Christmas Day it was just me and dad and um, and I cried um, of course uh, um, and dad has been incredibly brave and and um, had huge amounts of dignity throughout it uh, but my dad doesn't believe in God and so out of respect for him I haven't felt it's been appropriate to um, play worship music really loud in my kitchen which is what I would normally do and um, obviously have not been able to pray with people other than on the phone um, and uh, have yeah I've just felt incredibly alone. Um, one of the things that uh, Josh and Adam talk about is not why God but where is God in this and um, 
I, I have felt the Holy Spirit show up in ways that I hadn't experienced before. And I think because I wasn't able to you know, go to church and pray and worship with people and all the other things that you would do normally. And so I just thought I'd share some of those with you. So there was a, um, a period between Christmas and, um, the, well, up until like the beginning, middle of February, where the hospital um, kind of dropped the ball. We just weren't getting supported. And, and a bit like in a Hollywood movie, this nurse, Anna, uh, really scooped us up and um, moved things forward for Dad massively, got him all the referrals and the kind of treatments that he needed to help support him. Um, and uh, and I spoke to Anna on the phone every single day for about two or three weeks and she was just brilliant and um, and I've, I've never met her I've been obviously at the hospital absolutely tons and, and so part of me wonders if she even exists or actually if she's just a, an angel um, sent by God um, I also have definitely felt the Holy Spirit show up just in the birds that I see in the garden. Um, I have a real tangible sense of his presence when when I see a robin um, in my garden and magpies randomly. Um, and my doorbell and my phone have never been so busy with um, friends and even strangers popping around or um, leaving things at the door or sending text messages and it um, just particularly Christian friends with Bible verses and um, they've been so relevant and so supportive and then um, I've also felt like the tangible um, touch of the Holy Spirit in like a brush on my arm or um, a brush on my thigh or that just feeling of being held and um, that has been just such a huge comfort. Uh, somebody said to me that um, I'm very much in the dark night of my soul and um, and as much as I have felt hugely alone I know I haven't been alone. Uh, and I just wanted to share Psalm 23 with you from the Passion Translation. Um, this is David's praise to God. The Lord is my best friend and my shepherd. I always have more than enough. He offers a resting place for me in his luxurious love. His tracks take me to an oasis of peace, the quiet brook of bliss. That's where he restores and revives my life. He opens before me pathways to God's pleasure and leads me along in his footsteps of righteousness so that I can bring honour to his name. Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of deepest darkness, fear will never con conquer me, for you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. You become my delicious feast, even when my enemies dare to fight. You anoint me with the fragrance of your Holy Spirit. You give me all I can drink of you until my heart overflows. So why would I fear the future? For your goodness and love pursue me all the days of my life. Then afterwards, when my life is through, I'll return to your glorious presence to be forever with you. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Thank you so much, Lucy, for your honesty. Thanks for your faith. Thanks for your faithfulness too. Really appreciate uh, you and your story there. Now, clearly, as you've just heard, Lucy is walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet she is experiencing the presence of God, the comfort of God in this painful season. I suspect you've heard that story I sometimes tell about when our son Danny was a baby with chickenpox and he was in terrible discomfort and couldn't understand what he was going through, but he could still trust and he could still be comforted by the love of his father. That's what Lucy is doing. She doesn't necessarily understand why God doesn't just do all the miracles she wants, but she is experiencing his love and she's learning to trust him in it. Now, you may be saying to me, what is, how do I do that in practice? How, how do I experience the presence of God uh, in, in the sorts of ways that I'm talking about, that you're talking about here? Well, let me just get really practical. I'm going to be very vulnerable with you. The other night, um, just the sheer weight of all the difficult things that are happening right now just got on top of me. I just, I felt under them. And Sammy took one look at me and she was really quite concerned. She said, Pete, what are you going to do to make sure this stuff doesn't crush you? Because there's so many painful and difficult things that are happening. How are you going to handle this? And what I've worked out is two things. This is how I seek the presence of God in the valley. The first thing is, and I know not everyone will like this, but I just have to take some exercise almost every evening. It helps me get rid of stress. And then more importantly than that, every morning, I just have to spend time focusing on the face of the Lord in quiet prayer, sitting still, breathing slowly, just remembering like the bigger perspective of God's presence, receiving again his peace and his love. And it's as I do that, that I can often feel the stress just kind of draining out of my system and the storm dying down, the spirit kind of filling me afresh, which is, which is what it says in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I know many of you are learning to do that in this season. Maybe you're using uh, the Lecture 365 app, which is following this God Unmute series. It's just absolutely amazing what's happening with that. We only launched it 14 months ago, and I just heard we've got 200,000 users now. But it, I think it's because it's a good way of recentering yourself on God's presence, whatever you're going through. There's an amazing moment last week when, you know, uh, one of the families in the church that's gone through an unspeakable tragedy, one of the family members got in touch and said that. The day after that tragedy, the Lectio could have been written just for them. That's kind of the wonder, I think, of how the Holy Spirit moves and meets with us in the valley, bringing comfort through God's word. Maybe that this is what the psalmist is talking about when he says in verse two, you refresh my soul. 
Interestingly, the Hebrew word there for soul is nefesh, which literally means life breath. You refresh my life breath. So the image is of someone being resuscitated, revived because they've stopped breathing, brought back to life. It's an image we're pretty familiar with right now. So can I encourage you to put on your oxygen mask daily and receive again life and refreshment from the Holy Spirit? I want to tell you now a story uh, that I don't think I've ever shared before, but a few years ago I went to see one of my absolute favourite bands, U2, uh, playing at Wembley. It was their 360 tour and uh, I was really excited. I went with my friend Charlie Mackesee, who uh, many of you will have heard of. He's sometimes spoken at this church and now he's, he's become quite well known for writing that lovely book um, that, that, that's you know, topped the New York Times bestseller list for the last year or so. And uh, so we were enjoying the concert and then in the middle of it, Charlie, who seems to know everybody, uh, has got a text message inviting him, and I presume me, to the after-show party with the band. And he turned to me quite casually, said, hmm, I don't know if I fancy going. Do, do you want to go? Do you want to go meet the band? I don't know what you would have said. But I said something I've sort of regretted ever since. I said to him, do you know what, Charlie? just enjoying hanging out with you. It's been a great concert. I'm all right. I don't want to go. I passed up meeting by, and instead we ended up eating a packet of crisps and drinking uh, Coke on the pavement outside Wembley. I woke up the next morning kicking myself, saying, what an idiot. Why did you say no? I think it was probably some insecurity, is maybe a bit of that thing of not meeting your heroes, you know, in case you get disappointed. The reason I tell you this story here is that I think it's easy to do this with Jesus. It's easy to observe the Jesus show as kind of a spectacle and a spectator and to hide in the crowds like Zacchaeus. Maybe we even enjoy the whole thing, but we never make the effort to actually go and meet Jesus for ourselves. Maybe it's because we're insecure, or we're too afraid of being disappointed, or, or, or we prefer to live as a kind of a passive observer. Maybe you've even started watching church service online uh, since the pandemic started, and we love having you, but it's time to meet Jesus. It's time to move from the public show to the private party from recreational participation to actual relationship, from the occasional emotional experience to actual daily personal encounter. Maybe you're someone who's been doubting God's love or even his existence because you find yourself in a very dark place and God's just not making it go away. And today, I hope you've realised that actually God's presence is not instead of your suffering, but in spite of it. He promises to be with you in it. Whatever your situation, I want to invite you to make Psalm 23 your own today. To say the Lord is my shepherd, not just my mum's shepherd or my friend's shepherd, my shepherd. To say, I will fear no evil because you are with me. In a moment, we're going to take communion. And this is the feast that God prepares for us in the presence of our enemies, right? It's not just remembering Jesus dying on the cross. It's also anticipating his return 
when there will be a great feast, we're told, and our enemies will be destroyed. There'll be no more tears or crying. But first, let's prepare our hearts and reflect on what we've heard with a beautiful musical rendition of Psalm 23. And if you know that maybe you've been sitting in the stands, but it's time to come to the after show party, it's time to actually come to know Jesus for yourself, to say, the Lord is my shepherd. And when I go through tough stuff, I want him with me. I want to invite you just to quietly surrender your life to Jesus Christ. Invite him into your life and then join us on the next Alpha course. Listen, if you give your life to Jesus in that way today, I am not telling you your life's going to be easy and you're not going to have any more problems. But I will promise you this. Jesus Christ will never leave you and he'll never fail you and he will never let you down. He will be with you every step of the way, come what may, every day for the rest of your life. He's been with Sammy and me through everything we've gone through and I know he's not going to ever let us down. You've heard Lucy's story of how God is walking with her through her experience of the valley of the shadow of death. That can be your experience too. I want to encourage you, open your heart to love today and he will never let you down. Thanks so much, everybody. God bless you.